0: You're listening to an audio message from The Well. A gospel-centered church family in Hastings, Nebraska that exists to grow disciples and glorify God. For more information, please visit www.thewellhastings.com Ephesians chapter 5, verses 7 through 14. Paul says, Therefore, do not become partners with them, For it is shameful even to speak of the things they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore it says, Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Let me pray. Father, as we approach your word this morning, ask that you would come and speak to us. Help our hearts to be in a posture of holy fear. In a posture that is willing, and not just willing, but desiring and hungry to hear from you. We pray, God, that you would give us your spirit this morning. We believe that You are here present among us through the power of Your Spirit that You indwell us. Lord, we pray even further than that, God, that You would remove any hindrances from our hearts. Hardness of heart. Blindness of heart. Anything that would seek to be a barrier. Any spiritual hindrances, demonic hindrances in this space today that would Seek to hinder us from hearing from You. God, please remove those. You left the tomb empty. So this is a small thing for You. We beg You, Father. We beg You, Spirit, to come and speak to us. And to come and to unleash the fury of the love of Christ upon our hearts this morning through the preaching of Your Word. God, we beg You to come and do what no man could ever do. I beg you to come and open hearts, change lives, and to save sinners. I trust you to do that work. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, Amen. So I've entitled this message, <coughs> This Little Light of Mine. You can all hear the song in your head now, right? The song, this little light of mine, is a children's song. It is designed to teach children to be responsible with the light of Christ in their lives. As Christians, we are called to be the light of the world. We're called to be like cities on hills that glow in the darkness. We're not meant to be lamps that are hidden in closets or baskets. We're meant to bring glory and attention and honor to God. We're called to let our lives shine like bright lights through our words, our thoughts, and our actions. We're called to let our lives shine in a dark and perverse world that we live in. That's the call of God on a Christian's life. And there are many ways in which the church does this throughout the world. Church does shine brightly in the darkness, right? Compassion for the poor, commitment to the truth of God's Word, standing in opposition against evil in the world that we live in. These are all good ways that Christians embody this call to be lights in the darkness. So we do well at this as a church. And there's, no, there's absolutely no way that we could obey this call of God on our lives to be lights in a dark and perverse world if it weren't for Jesus' first coming into the world as the true and perfect light of the world. we actually saying about that this morning, right? And yet, in the midst of all of this, there's a tension. There's a tension that gets built. We're called to be lights in the darkness. Jesus himself is the light of the world. The reality is that we are reflectors of the Son of God, just like the moon is a reflector of the light of the sun. It's the same. But there's a tension in this. We know that people love darkness. Every one of us in this room has a bent towards a love for darkness. Rather than light. John's Gospels um, make light of this tension often. According to John's Gospel, the proof that we actually love darkness becomes visible in the activities of our lives. Our thoughts, our words, and our actions. Those three things, they prove. They prove what your heart and my heart is Loyal to. You can see this in John 3. I'm not just talking about evil atrocities like genocide either. Big horrible things that you can think of that those people do. The reality about sin is sin is evil because it is an act of rebellion and war against God. According to one author... Sin is still sin, and evil is still evil, even if we dress it up in expensive wrappers. Sin is still sin. Evil is still evil, even if we dress it up in expensive wrappers. In other words, we live in a dark reality. And the temptation for us as Christians is to dress up our sin with the clothing and the lipstick and the language of religion without ever experiencing true transformation of the heart. This would have been the issue with the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the religious leaders in the day when Jesus came and walked among them. Totally missed that he was the Messiah, the Christ, the Lord. Because they had dressed up the sin of their lives in the lipstick and the clothing And the language of religion. The reality is is that we live in a dark and perverse world, right? And if we aren't careful, then we can easily wind up looking more like the world and less like Jesus. This is why we teach our children these songs, right? Songs like This Little Light of Mine and Father Abraham and I'm in the Lord's Army. We teach those songs to help our children at a young age begin to learn how to shine like bright lights in the darkness. Which brings me to Ephesians 5 and our text for the day. Because make no mistake about this passage, this passage is no child's play. You might remember the text that we studied last week dark, heavy feeling of that passage. The heavy feeling, the heavy warning of that text. This passage is not child's play. Paul's concerned in this passage and his concern in this section is serious. It's serious because he's concerned about the way we walk out our lives in relation to our identity. He's concerned with how our walk is interconnected to who we are, comes together. He's essentially been saying all along that not only should we walk this way, right? He's given us those commands, those biblical instructions to walk out our Christian lives this way. Walk it. Walk that way. Not only has he been saying that, but he's also been saying, hey, you can walk this way. He's intricately tying together the theme of our identity, dictating the direction and the way in which we walk, rather than letting the way in which we walk dictate our identity. He's encouraging challenging. He's warning the Ephesians to walk in a manner I've said this every week to walk in a manner that is worthy of your calling. To no longer walk like an unbeliever. To put on the new clothing of Christ's likeness. To be renewed in your words, your thoughts, and your actions. To live in sexual purity as sons and daughters of God. Now it's the sons and daughters of God peace that enables us to walk. Because if you're a son or daughter of God, do you know who you have living inside of you? We have the Spirit of God living inside of us. And the Spirit of God is who empowers us, enables us, reminds us hey, you're a daughter of God, you're, you're a son of God. Your Father is the one who spoke. All things living into existence, that same spoken word power resides inside of you right now if you're a believer. It's the sons and daughters of God peace that enables us to walk. See, our identity and the call to walk in obedience, it's not meant to be a heavy weight that causes us to walk begrudgingly with bitter scowls on our faces as we actually long to rebel deep down inside. Our identity is meant to enable us to walk in joy-filled, transparent relationship with God and the rest of our church family in front of A dark and perverse world. This is what it looks like for us to live as lights in front of a dark world, right? This song that we learn as children, this song that we teach our children, it's rooted in this passage. It's rooted in our identity. It's rooted in who you and I are. And let me say this: when you forget who you are in Christ, when you forget that, your walk doesn't look right. One author says that the person who does what God says with a resentful heart and begrudging obedience does not bear the mark of the true child of light. The heart, renewed by the Spirit, desires to please God, is anxious to find out what God desires, is motivated by the sense of bringing God pleasure. This is Paul's desire for us. It's his desire for the Ephesians. He wants them. He wants us to, to have renewed hearts that are set on fire. Think about what happens when you light a fire in your backyard. When it's dark, it lights up. He wants our hearts to be set on fire by the Spirit of God for the things of God. Wants us to shine like bright lights in the midst of a dark and perverse culture. Wants us, wants to be super practical about this too. I mean, you get to know Paul in the way that he writes in his letters. I mean, he always seems to begin with these real high, lofty theological concepts, right? You're adopted. You're chosen. You're predestined. All these big, high, lofty concepts. You're loved. And then he, moves from that down into the practical. Now, this is how you should walk. Uh, With the exception of Philippians, by the way. Philippians is much different. Most of the rest of his uh, writing is very theological at first, then moves right into very practical. Um, That's the sit-walk-stand theme of Ephesians that I bring up as often as I can. Seated in who you are. Firmly rooted. Seated. Grounded there. Now, since that's who you are, walk that out. Right? I think the problem for us sometimes is that we get really discouraged because we're not running. Sometimes it doesn't even feel like we're walking. I heard one preacher say it's it's just uh, encouraging when you see somebody leaning in the right direction. Um, (laughs) Paul wants to be practical about this he wants to put cookies on the lowest shelf possible so that the ephesians and us so that we can walk this out so he says it in very simple terms he basically says five things he says don't link arms with disobedient people be a human torch live your life to please god expose the darkness in and around you and wake up from your sleepwalking five things right the first thing he says is don't link arms with disobedient people that's the first thing he says Verses 7-8, through eight, Paul says, therefore do not become partners with them, for at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Now, <clears throat> the them that Paul refers to here are the sons of disobedience from verse 6. That's the them that Paul is referring to. Sons of disobedience are people who are sexually immoral. They practice impurity. They are covetous or, as we found out last week, greedy for other people's bodies. They're given over to filthy talk, crude joking, empty deceptive words. These are the them that Paul is referring to, that we are not to become partners with, not to link arms with. And I think there's a reason for this. There's a reason that Paul states this. The reason is that our identity should dictate our behavior. Follow me? Paul says that even though we were disobedient people at one time, we are no longer disobedient people now. We were darkness at one time. Listen, we didn't just walk in darkness. At one time, our identity was darkness. That was our identity. That's who you and I used to be. We didn't just walk that way. We were darkness. Now that we've trusted in Christ, if you've trusted trusted in Christ, then we have a new identity. We have a a new name. We are light in the Lord, even when we stumble in disobedience. Our actions do not dictate who we are. The overriding trajectory of a child of God is someone who desires to and does walk in obedience to the Lord. That's the general overriding trajectory. It's not about how fast you're getting there. It's about the direction that you are traveling. Therefore, don't link arms with disobedient people. Do not be intimately connected with disobedient people. Right, we, now we, we must be in the world, not be of It doesn't mean that you can't have people in your life who are disobediently walking away from the Lord. It simply means that you should not be intimately connected to disobedient people. He's very clear about this. Now this fits the rest of the context of scripture. Do not be unequally yoked, right? Our closest friends. Before I go there, we must be in the world and not of it. Agreed? I mean the Puritans wrote about this had to figure out ways of what this would look like. Sometimes it looks like legalism, which isn't healthy. There is a way to be in the world and not be of it. Our closest friends that we are intimately connected to are supposed to be people of the light so that we can shine brighter in the darkness. Think about this. Think about a single lamp stand on a street in the dark. And you're standing there. Think about how much light that lampstand brings into the darkness on that street. Now think about if you've ever been in a plane and you've flown over cities and you've seen all of the lights in that city and how much light they bring. A single lampstand is bright in the darkness, but here's the deal. A cluster of lampstands is brighter. So don't link arms with people of disobedience. Be intimately connected to people of obedience and shine like a city full of lampstands on a hilltop. Because that sounds like something Jesus said, doesn't it? Number two, be a human torch. Be a human torch. Verses 8-9, through Paul says that we are to walk as children of the light for the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. Paul uses an interesting twist on words here. When he attaches fruit to light, just think about that. He attaches fruit to light. At first glance, my problem is that I, I begin to wonder how light could bear fruit. And I think the scientific answer is light can't bear fruit. Right? Plants bear fruit. Trees bear fruit but I've never seen light bear fruit but then if you stop and you think about it you ever seen a plant or a tree that has been locked in utter utter darkness ever seen one ever seen the grass in your yard after a blanket was left on your lawn for an extended period of time it doesn't bear fruit right doesn't grow withers up and dies The same is true for people. If we walk in darkness, then the fruit we bear is not good, it's not right, and it's not true to our design. Paul uses those words specifically. The fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. So that's the kind of fruit we should be looking for in our lives. Goodness, righteousness, truth. we walk in the light, if we live our lives to be human torches that reflect the light of the Son of God, then wherever we go, whatever we do, we will produce fruit that is good and right and true. Human torches bear the fruit of Christ-like goodness and the fruit of Christ-like righteousness and the fruit of Christ-centered truth instead of, what do you think the opposite is? So just examine your heart right now. Let the Holy Spirit in to examine you. Because the opposite of good and right and true would be what? Bitterness and filthiness and deception. If there is a sliver of that in your heart right now, my hope is that the Holy Spirit would reveal that and that he would come in and do surgery. So be a human torch that is lit up by the presence of the Holy Spirit, filled with the fruit, Christ-like righteousness, Christ-like goodness, Christ-centered truth. Because Jesus says, The truth would set you free. Isn't that what we want us to be set free? Number three, live your life to please God. Live your life to please God. Verse 10. Paul says that we should try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Another version says we should test what is pleasing to the Lord. Brings a little bit different nuance to what we're talking about. Here's the deal. because we are broken people, every one of us, we're like a broken, cracked ground that hasn't had water on it for a long time. Because we're broken people, because we're cracked, the images of our lives have been cracked by sin, marred by sin, and we often live to please who? Ourselves. That's right. We often live to please ourselves. And heaven forbid anybody get in between us and the object of our affection. Because ultimately, if you side note, if you study out Satanism, it's actually not the worship of Satan. It's actually the worship of yourself, because that's what Satan wanted. This is why Jesus would look at some of the religious folks in this day and say, "Hey, you actually look a lot more like your dad, the devil. You don't look like my father, right? It just brings meaning. It just brings meaning." That's what brokenness does in our lives. What Satan does to us is turns us inward so that we might please ourselves. We often live to please our own senses, our own appetites. We approach life sometimes like hungry people at a feeding frenzy. You can see this picture in your head. Who are seeking only to satisfy the momentary hunger pains in our bellies. We do this through addictions. And there are a lot of people who would say, well, I'm not addicted to anything. Well, here's the reality. Every one of us are addicts. All of us. Every person who's ever been born ever will live, we're all addicts. We just crave something different. And oftentimes, because alcohol, pornography, and drugs gets the limelight, we often think, well, just because I want to shop a little bit more or spend a little bit more money doesn't make me an addict. Actually, it does make you an addict because that's what sin is. Addicted to pleasing self. That would be a great definition of addiction. Some of us are addicted, right, to porn. Some are addicted to food. Some of us are addicted to isolation. Think about that, an isolation addiction. I don't want to be around you anymore because you hurt me. So then there's a a level of pain involved and fear involved in addictions. Some of us are addicted to knowledge. Some of us are addicted to accomplishments. Some of us are addicted to money or belongings or status or hobbies. The list goes on and on and on. Whatever it is that you put in front of you that you think that you need more than Jesus, no matter how much you dress it up and put lipstick on it, so the clear instruction here is that we are not to live our lives to please ourselves through addictions of all kinds. We're called to live our lives to please God. One of the questions I counsel people with all the time, hey, just start asking God, would this does this please you? this bring honor to you, God? And if the answer is no simply, then just don't do it. Right? Beg him to give you the strength to walk away from that. So this kind of lifestyle, man, it doesn't happen without some hard work. Um, you want to you walk in the light? Want to live to please God? we would take hard work. You can just sit back passively and just go, I'm just going to sit here, God, and let you do the rest. If that is crazy amounts of heresy (laughs) to think that somehow this life doesn't take some effort on our part don't get me wrong you can't save yourself okay you get to give no effort to that your prayer that you prayed at that camp that prayer doesn't save you Jesus saves you the prayer doesn't the prayer is just an expression of an inward place of the heart let me just tell you there's nothing you can do to get your heart in the place where it could receive that's a work of God the wind goes where it wants to go. People that want to be saved, that's a work of God. So, no amount of hard work that you could do to earn that. Yet, walking this out, that's, this is the big doctrine of sanctification versus justification. If you like big words, justification is when you get saved, it's work of God. Sanctification is walking in holiness. This is the work of both God and man together. Uh, man could not do that work of sanctification, which is actually walking in holiness, okay? Being set apart, being separate from the world, in it while not of it. I'm just putting all these pieces together, right? In my brain, I can see all sorts of little bubbles. And so, I'm sorry if you guys can't see that too, because my brain just does that. Anyways, sanctification, holiness, justification. You've got to give effort to walking in holiness. It will take hard work to discern or to understand, or to test what actually pleases God. We have to actually put in the effort and the hard work to bring our lives into conformity with God's Word in relation to our thoughts, our actions, and our words. It's not not the labor that pleases God in all of that. It's not what you do that actually pleases him. You know what actually pleases him? It's the same thing he said about David, who I think was a pretty rotten man most of the time, because he had 360 concubines or more, one girl for every day of the year, and he can't keep his hands off the girl next door. Okay? Just put that in your head. It's not the actions necessarily at the end of the day that please God, it's the heart. It's the broken and the humble, contrite heart that pleases God. And what did God say about David? It's a man after my own heart. Really? We could be twisted up about that for quite a while today. I'm just going to move on. Just leave it there. And just let God do something through that in you today. Don't live your life to please yourself. Live your life to please God. Number four. Number four, and this is an interesting point. hope you can track with me. Expose the darkness in and around you. Expose the darkness in and around you. 11 through 14, Paul says, take no part. Stop, wait a minute. As we read this, just look and see if you can find the apparent contradiction. That's important for us to, uh, as Christians, to be able to address apparent contradictions in the text. Let me read. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. Okay, that makes sense, Paul, I think. I kind of get the gist of that, right? For it is shameful even to speak of the things they do in secret. What? What? But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. I don't know if you caught it. There's an apparent conflict in what Paul is saying. He says, first, don't have any part. Don't have any part. Very clear. English language, the way they translate this, I think it's pretty close. The original Greek, even though I don't know much about Greek, just my understanding from the commentaries, this is pretty straight. Don't have any part in the unfruitful works of darkness. Don't let there be any darkness in you. Later, he says, it is shameful to even speak of the things they do in secret. Okay. In other words, the darkness that they engage in around you should not permeate your conversation. So is Paul in conflict here? Don't have any part of that. Don't even speak about it, but expose it. I don't think he's in conflict. I think that Paul is clearly concerned with whether or not our lives reflect, reflect the glory and the goodness of the Son of God who died for our sins. Serious business, right? This is why I think he instructs us Not to take part in the unfruitful works of darkness. And then he follows that with the instruction to expose those unfruitful works of darkness. So have no part of it, but expose it. So put that word expose in your head for a minute. Just track with me. Because when Paul moves on, he says that it's shameful to even talk about the dark things that unbelievers do in secret. So, So are we to expose these things or are we not to even talk about these things? Which one is it? Because part of the way that we expose things is we put an awful lot of words to it, right? All the things that you and I disagree on on Facebook have words in them. We're talking about the things we disagree with that we actually think are dark things. Don't we do that? Hasn't Paul just done that too? Hasn't he just given words to the dark and shameful things that they, the sons of disobedience, do. Hasn't he just done that? So if he's done that, he's got to be conflicted because now he's saying, don't even talk about it. Like that would, That's the argument that gets made when it comes to apparent conflicts in the Scriptures. Well, the sense that I get from these verses, I think in context of what Paul has already said in recent verses, about the use of our words. Remember that? The way that our words are used, deceptively, joking, crude, mocking, I think what he's saying, if we were to put it in our language, I think this makes sense. We should not engage in locker room talk or water cooler talk at work where you're Complain about your boss, right? Or front porch talk where you're just entertaining things. Or maybe social media talk or backyard talk about the shameful acts of unbelievers around us. We're not not to entertain ourselves or make light of or joke around about the shameful things in our culture in a way that would make us appear to be part of them. You go to a movie in the theaters and without trying to be legalistic here, you laugh at the things that God calls sinful. Right? You and I have a tendency to do it because we're like frogs in hot water, just slowly turning up the heat and getting cooked. And we find ourselves being more like the culture than being like Jesus. So that's the sense I get from this passage. We should not appear to be part of those dark things, even when it comes to our speech. We're certainly not to live our lives in the darkness of secret sin. We are to instead live our lives in a way that we shine a bright light on the shameful things that we see in our culture. Your life should be lived in such a way that your life is a light in that darkness. You should be so contrasted and different from the world that it's obvious that what's happening out there is wrong. The church should not be permeated with the same kind of sin that we see in the world around us. It should not be. The reason that I think that we sometimes look just like the world is because we have not faced persecution. We are a spoiled, rotten group of people in America. We are. I hate to pray for persecution, but I wish that every one of us would just suffer a little bit. Like, actually suffer. Not just have people talk trash about us or do some minorly hurtful things in our culture where we're so, like... Ah, snowflakes. All of us are snowflakes, okay? Man, I should probably get off of this because I'm going to offend people, right? I just, I wish we could face some real suffering so that we could grow up and follow Jesus. That's what I wish. Expose the darkness in and around you. Let me tell you, like we're not suffering because we have a president we have. We're not suffering because this political party did that or that political party did that. Like Those are bad things for sure. Expose the light. Just look at the way that you live your life. Number five, wake up from your sleepwalking, right? Wake up from your sleepwalking. Verse 14, Paul says, Awake, O sleeper, and rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Now, sleepwalking can be very dangerous. Any of you have ever sleepwalked? Remember a time when my son Lewis, um, poor kid gets to be used as a sermon illustration today. Remember a time when my son Lewis made a sleepwalk right out the front door in the middle of the night, <laughs> and the front door locked behind him. When he woke up, he was out in the front yard. Um, he was scared, right? Scared. He had trouble getting back into the house. Why? Because the rest of us were still sleeping. <laughs> um, The story, though, is often true of the Christian experience. We can be Christians while walking in darkness. Otherwise, why would Paul warn the Ephesian Christians of this? We can sleepwalk through life for years upon years upon years. I've heard so many stories of people that would just sit in the same church for years, never experiencing the true transformation of Christ, Nodding heads, right? Taking communion. Serving in different places. But then in their lives, just what's actually visible is just rottenness. And you just wonder, like, man, sleepwalking through life? Why, why would somebody want to do that? I don't think we do that knowingly. If That's the reality of sleepwalking. Sleepwalk through life, years upon years upon years. Something happened that hurt you. Somebody disappointed you. Didn't meet your expectations. Suddenly you start pursuing things that you never thought you'd pursue before, and you're walking in sin, you're walking in foolishness, whatever it may be. Finally you wake up, right? Find yourself in the front yard of your secret sin, surrounded by others who were sleepwalking too, unable to get the help that you need to get back into the comfort and safety of a of a well lit home in the presence of Christ. That's it's true of the Christian experience often. experience it myself. The awesome promise of this passage is this. When you hear Jesus calling you to wake up from your sleepwalking, when He calls you up out of your sin-soaked grave, then Christ Himself will shine His light upon you. And in that moment, you will be home once again in the presence of your Father. That's the promise of this passage. So wake up from your sleepwalking. Wake up from your sleepwalking and walk in the light of Christ. In conclusion start back where we started you might remember that i said this song this little light of mine it's a children's song right it's designed to teach children to be responsible with the light of christ in our lives and at some point we as adults think that we no longer need to learn what children need to learn in those songs Can i just tell you as an adult i want to continue to learn from those children's songs i think that's something that Jesus talked about, like, and anybody who's like a child comes to me, I'm not, gonna, I'm not gonna turn that person away. I just hope that you would have the same heart to be like a child learning that song all over again. Maybe you might go home and look it up and listen to it and let God apply that to your life because as Christians, we're called to be the light of the world. We're called to be like cities on hills that glow in the darkness. We're not meant to be lamps hidden in the closets of the baskets of our secret sins. We're meant to bring glory and attention honor to God. We're called that our lives shine like bright lights through our words, our thoughts, and our actions in the midst of a dark and perverse world. If you came in here today sleepwalking through life, if you came in here today caught in the darkness of your secret sin, if you came in here today ostracized from the presence of God because of your foolishness, if you came in here living in the lonely stench of death because of your rebellion if you came in here stuck in the rut of your selfish desires, if you came in here controlled by your hunger for more of what you cannot or should not have, if you came in here today blinded by the darkness that you've been stumbling around in, if you came in here having surrounded yourself by other sleepwalkers, if this is you today, then the clear call of God to you is to wake up. That ending of this passage was actually a hymn that they would sing in the early church. Called Christ to you is to wake up. To wake up and arise from the dead just like Lazarus. It's to walk out of your self-made grave just like your Savior walked out of His man-made tomb by the power of the Spirit. It's to wake up from your sleepwalking and in the midst of that waking up, then what will happen is Christ Himself will shine upon you and through you and you will become a light in the dark and perverse world that we live in because in this way, through this promise, you can walk in a new way where you become this little light of mind. In this way, you become a little light of Christ. And what Christ does is he lets you shine as he shines through you. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the truth of your word. We thank you for the power of your word. Lord, At your word, all living things leaped into existence. At your word, dead hearts come to life. At your word, light shines into the darkness. So this morning, Father, at your word, please cause dead, foolish, rebellious hearts to spring to new life where the fruit of Goodness and righteousness and truth would take its place. God, we beg you to do that today. Trust you to do that. In Jesus' name, everybody said, Amen. You're listening to an audio message from The Well. A gospel-centered church family in Hastings, Nebraska that exists to grow disciples and glorify God. For more information, please visit www.thewellhastings.com